The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. God bless you for being here today. Be taking your Bibles, if you would please, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Whether it's on your phone, your tablet, or a hard copy Bible, whatever it is that you have, I invite you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We are now in the third week of our sermon series titled End Times in Our Time. And what I hope has been made unreservedly clear is the absolute victory of the believer because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Amen? It was Billy Graham who was quoted saying, quote, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. Amen? And I can tell you, just my own personal life and the testimony that I have of this past few week period, uh, man, I have studied the Bible for this series like I have never studied the Bible before. And I am convinced and happy to tell you that the follower of Jesus is absolutely destined for the winner's circle. So I've got a reason to be happy today, and so do you. So if you think that that is good news and you're ready to help me preach this morning and you've also found 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, say Amen. What we have noticed as we've gone along in this series, this blueprint, we've been referencing the Bible as the blueprint that we're looking at for the future events of the end time. And some things that we've noticed about the blueprint is first that God shows us the season in which we're in. Uh, In the days of Noah, God did not give Noah a specific date that it was going to rain, but God let Noah in on the seasons. He says, Noah, it's going to rain, therefore you ought to build a boat. Much in the same way, Jesus in Luke 21 says, notice the trees. And this is such a great illustration because all of us understand this. He says, look at the trees. You know that when it starts to bud, you notice, you'll know that summertime is right around the corner. And in the very same way, God says to us today, Take note of the trees. Take note of the season in which you're in. The specific date of Christ's return is not known. Not known by any except Christ Himself. But we know that the seasons that we're in, we notice those things. We see see the buds on the trees, if you will. We see the times in which we're moving forward. We notice the season in which we are in. The other thing that we've noticed is we've gone through this blueprint of God's plan for the future. Is that there is an absolute definite point of our victory. If you and I were to be able to stand back and see the landscape of the time in which we're going, we we don't know exactly when the rapture of the church will be and all of those things, but there's a definite point where we can point to and say, there it is, that's the point, that's the moment of our absolute victory in Jesus. And that time is coming. If you believe that, everyone say yes. Now this salvation, this victory, we have actually a pretty good idea. The Bible gives us a lot of details about what this rapture, about what the church being drawn up into the air with to meet the Lord. We have an idea of what that looks like. The Bible tells us that the dead in Christ will rise first. 
that those who have gone to be home with the Lord, that their souls, the real them, is with the Lord Jesus this very moment. And that when Jesus comes back, not to be on the earth and to rule and to reign, but He comes for His bride. He comes for the church. He comes for you and me. He brings with Him the souls of those that have died. Their bodies raised to life, not as warm food, but in a glorified manner and are met together with their spirit. And you and I will be changed in an instant, the Bible says. And the twinkling of an eye. At the sound of the last trumpet. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die before Jesus returns for His church. But we will all be changed. Our bodies will be changed such that we can handle the glory of the Lord. And our eyes can handle seeing Him. I'm excited for that day. I'm going to be preaching today. I can already tell right now. So, So if the Bible were a blueprint, we're in a portion of the way through the story. We're not at the end yet. The Bible's not an old book. Yes, it was penned by God through human authors a while ago, but we're in the middle of this story. We're right smack dab. Like We may not even be in the middle yet. Like We're in the middle of this. And through God's Word and His Holy Spirit, we've been trying to understand how this all fits together with His Word that gives us the details about this. Now, one piece of this prophetic blueprint is the person and work of the Antichrist, which is what we'll be preaching about today. So first, let's just go to the Lord and ask Him to help us. God, I pray that this this seeking to know what Your Word has to say about the future, Father, never let this be an intellectual, mental game that we are entertained by. Let it always be something that changes us today. Let it be something that changes the way we treat our families today. Let it be something that changes the way we walk before you today, I would ask. In Jesus' name, and all the church says, Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, looking to verse 1. We read and it says, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as some as though a, the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or what is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of His mouth and destroy with the brightness of His coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, And they all might be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold the traditions which you are taught, whether by word or epistle. If you believe that this is the Word of God today, let all of God's children say Amen. I think that we would be best guided today through God's Word if we were to answer some clear, specific questions. Who is the Antichrist? When will He come? Where will He come from? And what will His end be? So we'll begin first with the who is the Antichrist. So if you're taking notes, you can simply write the word who with a question mark as you take notes underneath it. Who is the Antichrist? Well, just from the text we just read, verse 3, part B, calls him the man of sin. So take note of these names. The man of sin. He's known as the lawless one in verse 8. The book of Revelation references him as a conqueror or a beast. Commonly referenced throughout the rest of Scripture as the Antichrist. Now make sure you're not confused as you're a student of God's Word and you're reading God's Word. You will hear this word Antichrist be mentioned other times. And it's not always mentioning the Antichrist. For example, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Little children, it is now the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So we see that clearly there's two different types of Antichrist. And in verse 22 of 1 John, it tells us, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So it tells us that the Antichrist, that a Antichrist, that many Antichrists are simply people who deny the Father and the Son. That tells us that there are very likely Antichrists among us today. Now, not, they're not the Antichrist. They are Antichrists in the sense that many people on the world today are. They deny the Father and the Son. But the question we have on the table today is who is the Antichrist as it pertains to the end times that are now in our times? I'll make eight basic observations about who he is and some of the things that he very well may do. Number one. He will claim to be God. It tells us in the verses we've already read in verse 4, it says that He will be one who opposes and exalts Himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that He sits as God in the temple of God, showing Himself that He is God. He will say, here I am, I am God. Number two, He will be a human being. He's not an angel. He's not a demon. The Bible is very clear that it will be a man and it will be a human man. That is who the Antichrist will be. And he could be a man that is living on the earth this very moment. Number three, he will be quintessentially lawless. Verse 8 tells us that he will be the lawless one, the man of lawlessness. He will be a lawless one. There will be lawless that will be going about in the world as normal. Number four, he will be of the devil. He will be of the devil. Verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. 
Which leads us right into point five is that He will be one with real supernatural power from the devil. In Revelation 13, verses 1-4, through it says, John giving, being given these visions by the Lord, it says, I then stood on the sand of the sea and saw a beast, which we know is the Antichrist, rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon which we know, if you know your Bibles, this is referencing the devil himself. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast, followed the Antichrist, so that they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So there is certainly a lot of imagery in there. And I'm not even going to go up that tree today. (laughs) But there's a lot of imagery there. The main thing that we see coming out of that is that apparently this Antichrist, this man, will have at some point a wound that should have killed him. But miraculously, because of the power that the devil gives him, this deadly fatal wound is then healed. And you say, Pastor Ben, can the devil do that? Can the devil just go around and, and find himself a man that, will, that he can just give power to do his will? And the answer is yes. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that there will be many that will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And the reply of Jesus is kind of interesting because he does not then say, No, you didn't. <laughs> He doesn't negate that they did those things, that they, per, that they performed miracles, that they cast out demons, that they did mighty, many mighty works. But he makes it clear that it was not of his name. He will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So number five, he will have real supernatural power from the devil. Number six, he will likely be a force, a direct force for a one world government. Revelation chapter 13 tells us that to be able to buy or sell, that there will be some kind of mark that will go on the hand or the forehead, and, and having that mark will be the thing that will allow people to buy and to sell. And, and, and that makes us think that there's probably a one-world order, one-world government that will be promoted by this, by this very influential, very powerful leader, this human man that will produce, that will push for this one world government, making it such that if you don't have this particular kind of mark on your body, that you will not be able to buy or sell. Number eight, he will be unparalleled in his ability to deceive. He will come, verse 10 that we've already read, with all unrighteous deception. All unrighteous deception. So who is the Antichrist? And you can fill this in. He is the devil's protege. The Antichrist will be the devil's protege. And you say, well, Pastor Ben, why why are we learning about this? After all, if if this is, if, if, if Jesus is our victory, why are we learning about this? It wasn't one of the presuppositions that we made at the beginning of this sermon series that that the actual order of end times event end time events don't really matter all that much and i would say they don't matter in the sense that it does not change the command for you and me 
You and I are called to be faithful. We're to stand strong. We're to trust the Lord. In that sense, it doesn't matter. But it does matter in the sense that Jesus says, watch the seasons. Notice the trees that when the, you see the buds, you know that summer is around the corner. So it does matter from the standpoint of when we see our world in the current state that it is in, which is nutty right now and crazy, we're to take note of those seasons. And what I'll also tell you that I'll be teaching in just a very brief moment is that I think, as I see this and as I have studied and prayed like I never have before, I think that very likely this Antichrist who we see is the inauguration of the, of the tribulation period that we very likely will see who this person is. Should Jesus returning to bring His bride unto Himself, should that happen in our lifetime, I believe that we very well could see this person, this human man, the Antichrist, and we ought to know who He is. We ought to be able to recognize Him. So look, if you will, we've already read it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're back to verse 1 as we try to answer the when. When will the Antichrist come? 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. That's an important piece to underline, if you will. And our gathering together to Him. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you. You, by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So the key, I believe, in that text is our gathering together to Him. Because when the Bible talks about that day, it leaves the question in the mind, is it talking about the day of, of Jesus coming not necessarily to earth, but we see Him coming in the clouds. We know that He's going to draw the church to Himself. Is He talking about that day? Or is He talking about the day that Jesus comes to earth to rule with a rod of iron? Is He talking about that day? And I believe it's talking about the first coming of Jesus, if you will. The first Him coming to receive us to Himself. And the reason I think it is because it says that it's talking about Him coming the day of Christ and our gathering together to Him. So I believe that that's what this is talking about. And it's saying that that, that day will not come unless this lawless man is revealed first. That this lawless Antichrist denying the Father and the Son one world government, powerful leader, influential, very deceptive, very powerful man will be revealed first. I believe that that's what, is that, that's what that means. And many Christian Jewish people during the time of the Holocaust, they, they believed that Hitler was the Antichrist. And certainly he had very many attributes of what we know the Antichrist would be, but many Christian Jews in that day, they thought that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming to, for the church at any moment as they were going through this because they absolutely put thought that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. Now, I absolutely could be wrong about this. And this is the sense where it really doesn't matter whether or not I'm wrong or not because we know what the command for the Christian is. But I believe, church, I believe that when Christ returns, that we're seeing all this layout that we will see, should it be in our lifetime, that we would see the Antichrist coming before the Lord Jesus Christ takes us unto Himself. Now, this also fits with other areas of Scripture. Revelation 6, verse 1 and 2, as it begins, this is the very beginning of the tribulation. 
And it puts the Antichrist coming at the very end. Not in the middle or at the latter end. The Antichrist, His appearance, is the inauguration of the tribulation. And we see that true Revelation 6, verse 1. This is the very first piece of the tribulation. It says, Now I saw when the Lamb, which is Jesus, opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now some Bible theologians believe that that's talking about Jesus, and I don't think so at all that that's talking about Jesus. Because we know that Jesus does not carry a bow. He has a sword that comes out of His mouth. The sword of the Spirit of the Word of God. We know that Jesus has many crowns. This guy's only got one. (laughs) And this guy's going about conquering and and it it kind of paints a picture of Him going around in an Alexander the Great kind of way trying to overthrow and overtake. Listen, when Jesus comes, there's no question. Jesus is just coming to take over. I believe that this absolutely is talking about the Antichrist placing His arrival on the scene of history very early in the tribulation, and I believe we will see it before the Lord calls us home. Now here's another interesting piece about our blueprint. Look back to verse 5, 2 Thessalonians 2, and this becomes clearer to us as we go along. It says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? In other words, Paul's saying, do you not remember when I was actually with you, church at Thessalonica, that I preached from your pulpit in your church about these things? And, and Paul says, I'm basically, I'm going to remind you again. It's important enough for me not just to preach it from your pulpit, but God is inspiring me to write this to you as the Word of God. Verse 6, and now you know what is restraining. Everyone say the word restraining with me. One, two, three. Restraining. And now you know what is restraining, that He may be revealed in His own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Remember the restraining piece, but let's focus in on that verse 7, part A. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Paul says in 51 AD, as the Lord is using him to write His Word to send out to the Thessalonian church. The world today, and this is no surprise, is progressively very quickly, progressively, becoming more evil. And I believe that this is the mystery of lawlessness that began, that Paul says has already begun, that is continuing on as we see it in action today. I believe very much so that if we could somehow bring Paul here today, it's not possible, but if we could do that, and I could pull out my phone and I could get on Facebook and I could go to that little video loop where I could keep sliding from one video to the next. You all know what I'm talking about. And we could show Paul and I could say, Paul, here's what's going on in Seattle. Here's what's going on in downtown Columbus. And I think, what I think is we could go through all these places in our country and our world for that matter of just complete lawlessness. I think Paul would say, there it is. Mystery of lawlessness. It had already begun when God used me to write the letters to the churches and at 51 years after the time of Christ, it had already begun then. And now you're really seeing this thing cook up with some serious intensity, the mystery of lawlessness. So here's the understanding of this interpretation. The mystery of lawlessness that began in Paul's day, again, 51 A.D., at least it started at that time, has continued until now. So we're in the year 2020 A.D., A.D., which is Anno Domini, the Latin words for year of our Lord, or approximately 2,020 years from the time of Jesus. You subtract from it 51 years 
which is 51 AD when Paul was used of God to write this letter to the church at Thessalonica, that gives you 1,969 years that this mystery of lawlessness has been at work. And you say, well, what in the world is supposed to happen next? We're increasing in lawlessness and there's some kind of restrainer that when the restrainers move out of way, then the Antichrist will come. What, what happens next? Look to 7 verse B. Verse 7 part B. It says, Only he who now restrains will do so until he has taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. There's been many questions over the centuries of who this restrainer is. I believe that this is talking of the Holy Spirit. And depending on the translation of the Bible that you have, when it has a capital H-E, it's referencing God. A lowercase h-e is not referencing God. And here we see this in the New Kings James. We see how this is elevated. Only He, capital H-E, who now restrains will do so until He is taken out of the way. Until the Holy Spirit is drawn out of the way. There's the Holy Spirit among us today that's restraining some of this lawlessness that's happened. It's restraining the time of the Antichrist coming. But when the Holy Spirit steps aside, then we will see the lawless one revealed. We know that the Holy Spirit is with us. John 14, 16 and 17, it says, And I will pray the Father, Jesus says, and He will give you another Helper. This is the Holy Spirit. That He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it can neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you forever. So we know that the Holy Spirit is here. He's the restrainer that's holding this back. So asking the question, when will the Antichrist come? I think that it will be just prior to Jesus coming to take the church away, to take you and me away, should that happen in our lifetime. But here's what I know of when the Antichrist will come. When God allows Him. When God allows Him. Just in case you have forgotten this morning, precious church, child of God, redeemed saint, those washed in the precious blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ, the devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet will be his kind of Holy Spirit going about doing the devil's bidding. All the hordes of hell and their plans to destroy the church, that will fail. The plans of the devil to steal, kill, and destroy you and your family and your walk with the Lord. Those things, those beings, they are nothing, nothing, nothing compared to the knowledge and the wisdom and power and glory and authority and might of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question that I hope that you're asking right now is which of these sides am I following? Are you going to be following Christ into the victor's circle? Or are you going to be following this crowd of prideful, I don't need Jesus, I'm more worthy to be worshipped than Jesus? Are you going to be a part of that crowd? And I'm calling you today to follow and to trust Jesus into the victor's circle. So that's the who and the when of the Antichrist. What about the where? If you're ready to hear my absolute best theological interpretation of where the Antichrist will come from, say amen. And here it is. I have no clue. (laughs) Okay? Scripture does not give us much in this area. Here's one interpretation that I'll make that may or may not be true. Revelation 13. This is the Apostle John being given the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it says, Then I stood 
on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast, which we know is the Antichrist, rising up out of the sea. We know that the Apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos, which is near modern-day Turkey, which is near Jerusalem. So perhaps, and we know that Jerusalem is usually used as the epicenter around which north and south is known by in the Bible, so perhaps if Jerusalem is the point of reference here, that coming up out of the sea means that somewhere from across the pond from Jerusalem. Now, perhaps. I may be completely wrong in that. Which is why today I'm simply going to tell you when we ask the question, where will the Antichrist come from? I'm unsure. That's, that's, that's the best answer I know how to give you, and I'm not going to pretend like I know answers to these things when I truly do not. So I, I don't know. I think, though, that the far more important piece to this blueprint is we're trying to see what's on the blueprint of God's Word and we're trying to envision the, the finished building, the finished plan of redemptive history that was written before time began as we're seeking to interpret God's Word to create this vision of what we understand that's coming. I think the far more important question is, is what will the end of the Antichrist be? What will the end be? And we do have something in Scripture about this. So we know that if we were to take this interpretation that we will see Him, should, should the return of Christ, should the rapture of the church happen in our lifetime, we understand that, that we very likely will see Him. We'll see the things. We'll see the beginning. We'll see the inauguration of the tribulation years that are coming. And then Jesus will come. We'll see Him in the clouds. And you and I will be drawn to Him up with him the dead in christ will rise first we see that happening but but after all of that after this mystery of lawlessness which we are experiencing today this is not an old book we are in this today we see it getting worse we see when we see and expect it to get worse this mystery of lawlessness paul would have said it began then and i very much think paul would say and it's really happening now you're experiencing the mystery of lawlessness after that has happened after the restrainer has been moved out of the way, after the Holy Spirit has stepped aside, allowing the Antichrist to come. The Antichrist puts himself in the place of God. The Bible says the temple. We don't know exactly what the temple is. All that we know is that it's very clear to us that he's going to claim to be God. He's going to stand in the place of God, convincing people that he is God so that he's worshipped as God. We see that. After that happens, after he has deceived many, and brings about this one world government where you have to have some kind of mark on your body, otherwise you can't go to Walmart and buy anything. Once that's happened, once we see this one world government coming about that this can be instituted, not just in America, we must think larger than just America. This is the whole world that pertains to Scripture. Once that's happened, after that's happened, once him and his false prophet have worked many miracles by the power of Satan, once God has tested the world through the tribulation period, which we'll be talking about next week, and many people, many people will be saved through that period. Once those people have been saved. And then Jesus is going to come back, church. Amen? And not in the sense that He's coming to take us. We've already been taken by Him. He will come back to rule with the rod of iron. So what will the end of the Antichrist be? Look now to verse 8 of our 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume. Everyone shout the word consume. Amen. Will consume with the breath of His mouth and destroy with the brightness of His coming. 
Because I am the way that I am, I like the ESV version which says, and then the lawless son will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of His mouth and with, and with the coming of His appearance, the brightness of His appearance. I like the Ben Sweeterman translation best which says, don't mess with my Jesus. He is a powerful, powerful God. And we actually have a very clear depiction, understanding of what this looks like, of what this, this disintegration by the brightness of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone turn your Bibles to Revelation 19. Revelation at the end of your Bibles, 19, very close to the end of that book. So you're going to be very close to the end of your Bibles. Revelation 19. We don't have to read this, but I'm the pastor and I want to, so we're going to. Revelation 19, verse... 11 is where we pick up. Verse 11, it says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. If you believe that's Jesus Christ, everyone say Amen. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, everyone look to your neighbor and say, that's you and me. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has come, and on his robe, and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing, listen to this church, focus in. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat of the flesh of kings and of the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. What is this angel describing? It's describing the time when the battle line will be drawn. Look to verse 19 now. And I saw the beast, I saw the Antichrist, John the Apostle says, and the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sits on the horse and against his army. So think of that, that someday on this earth, some place, this is not some figurative place, there will be some place on this earth, Jesus will come back with all of us, the armies of heaven, and there's going to be a battle line drawn. Can you imagine? I mean, this Antichrist is really, really stupid to come against Christ on the white horse and all of his armies. Verse 20, it says, Then the beast, this is the end of the beast, church. Listen to this. Then the beast was captured. The Antichrist was captured. And with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So that, my church, is the end, my dear church family whom I love. What is the end of the Antichrist and his false prophet? Total defeat. Everyone say amen. Total defeat. And listen to me, if, if, if your heart like mine does sometimes is thinking to yourself, well, how in the world could God cast these beings, these people, this Antichrist and this false prophet 
cast them into the lake of burning fire with all the other people who have denied Christ forever and ever and ever and ever. Isn't that a little bit harsh? But listen to me, church. I've been so convicted of this this week because my heart has thought the same. For years has thought the same. Like, man, I understand and I trust God. Even if I don't understand, I trust God's judgments because I know Him and I love Him. And even if I don't understand His judgments, I trust that what He's doing is right. But I, I feel like the Lord has shown my heart something and it's that that when God allows someone to go there, it's not that there are people in hell wailing. I mean, the Bible says that there's gnashing of teeth in heaven. You know what that means? It means to snarl. Have you ever seen a snarling animal? I have. I've been very close. Way too close to way too many than I care to admit. I've been near a snarling animal before. People in heaven are not wailing in agony. They're snarling against God. They're still cursing God. Even if you could bring in the future of the time of, if, if we were could have fast forward ourselves into the God's redemptive plan and you were to bring all those people, Satan, Antichrist, false prophet, bring them all out of hell, put them all back on earth again, they would still rebel against Almighty God. So God is just in His judgments. The total defeat is a total defeat that is absolutely right. It's absolutely right. So what I remind myself, church, and I hope you remind yourself also, this mystery of lawlessness that you and I are currently in, right now, this very day, this very moment, it will be defeated. It will be defeated. These times will come to an end when the Lord Jesus Christ returns with you and me, riding on white horses. And I'm a good rider too, so I hope Jesus lets me be right on the front line so I can see Him take out the guy. I, when that happens, church, the mystery of lawlessness will be over. The time of evil will be over for a time while the devil is bound. And we'll get into that later. But, but Jesus will come back and He will right every wrong. So let me ask you a question, church. Which, If the battle lines are drawn somewhere on this earth, and, and this man, the Antichrist, and the kings of the world, this, the people underneath Him, which will be pretty much everybody, they've drawn the battle lines which side are you going to be on? Because on one side is the Antichrist and the kings of the earth. And on the other side is Jesus and, and, and the rest and all the church riding on white horses. So which one are you going to be on today? And, and, and what I'm calling you church to do is not... I'm calling you to the side of victory. I'm calling you to the side that has, has recognized their great need. Why are they wearing white linens? It's because those people recognize that they're broken without Christ. They don't have anything to offer, so they must be clothed in the righteousness that can only be purchased through the cross. If you're standing there in the middle of the line, the battle lines that have been drawn, the only way to go into the victor's circle is through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be washed of Him. You must humble yourself. God exalts those who humble themselves. There's coming a day when the whole world is going to see the church and they're going to see the church being exalted. Why? Because they humbled themselves. And on the other side is the side that is destined for, and I'm not meaning you folks in general, you know what I'm saying. It's the side that is destined, they're destined to defeat. Why? Because they're full of pride. Everyone on this side has said, we don't need Christ. We don't need His ideas. I don't need to obey Him. They don't need to worship Him. Let's just turn around and worship me. We, it's, it's full of pride. And if your heart is full of pride this morning, that's the direction you're going. And I love you enough to tell you this unpopular. I'm calling you to the side of victory. 
And not this common social gospel that we see preached on TV by many people, many pastors that have lost their way, that preach nothing of salvation, nothing that pertains to the actual salvation of the human spirit. I'm calling you to victory through Jesus' cross, through His blood, through His burial, through His resurrection, through to be standing in the winner's circle because of what Jesus has done. And then we can begin to minister to the Lord in music at this point in our service. And I'm going to ask the rest of you to stand with me. Which side will you be on, church? I'm calling you to victory. I'm calling you to victory. No matter what point of Scripture as I've gone through this and I'm studying and laboring over this blueprint that Jesus has given us through His Word to know what to expect, to know what's coming. There's no point that I can preach where Jesus, I'm not finding, I can't turn anywhere where Jesus isn't the victor. And those with Him are in victory. So I'm calling you to be with Jesus. I'm calling you to go on the side of humility. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Recognize that you don't know all the things that you need to know. Recognize that you may have an idea of how your life ought to look and and you don't understand why Jesus would call this particular thing a sin. Humble yourself and trust that Jesus is the Son of God. That He died on the cross for your sins and that you believe that Jesus raised Him, that God raised Him from the dead and that Jesus is your victory. He's your only victory because of the, the purchase price that has been paid on the cross for your sins. That's the gospel. And it is an invitation into the victor's circle. That's what I'm inviting you and anyone joining our live stream or listening to my podcast later. I invite you into the winner's circle. I invite you to be humbled so that God will exalt you. Don't go the prideful way or you'll be humbled. The Bible tells us that every knee shall bow And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess this morning. God, we humble ourselves. God, if I'm going to be riding with you on a white horse, if I'm going to be on that army, it's because I've humbled myself, Jesus. I need you. There's this sin. There's this this sin that I cannot break inside of me. But Jesus, because of what you have done on the cross, it's broken the back of sin in my life. And I am on a path, I'm on a journey, and its its only direction is the winner's circle. Father, let us be a family of faith that compels and draws people into this circle. In Jesus' name. And all, all the people say, Amen. I'd love to pray with you. This altar is open for any prayer need that you have.